0: Howdy-dowdy, Shadowites. Wait, John, do they even call themselves that? Mm, I don't know, Kirk, but they should. John, the commercial.
1: Right. How many more times are you going to invest $5 in heated bean juice only to fizzle out faster than your New Year's resolution?
0: Trust us, we've been there. During our days running 24-hour operations, the struggle was real. That's why, as veterans, we decided to create the game-changer that we wish we had. Sisu Stamina energy choose
1: designed with precision and science CCU stamina is your take
0: anywhere do anything fuel that provides immediate smooth energy razor focus
1: and compounding health benefits all for about a buck a serving
0: head over to ulauniverse.com. use shadows 10 at checkout to save site wide so you can conquer your shadows today and forge a brighter tomorrow
2: You know, most people go through life aiming at nothing and hit it with amazing accuracy. And they find themselves just feeling stuck in a rut, wondering if this is all there is. And I'm here to tell you, no, it is not. And life is too dang short to live it stuck in a rut. So check out beyondtherut.com and listen to episodes of other people who are also feeling stuck in a rut, asking themselves the same questions you are around their faith, their family, their fitness, their finances, and just their outlook on future possibility. And there, we hope that you are encouraged and inspired to make your own path and live life beyond the rut so again go check out beyondtherut.com, where you can find blog posts and podcast episodes as well as some tools to help you design the targets you wish to hit in life in those five f's faith family fitness finances and future possibility because again life is too dang short to live it stuck in a rut now go check it out beyond the Hey, this is Ice from American Gladiators and host of Chillin' with Ice, and you are listening to The Shadows Podcast.
0: All right, everybody, I want to welcome you back to another episode of The Shadows Podcast. We're continuing with our American Gladiators episodes. It's super cool for me as a fan growing up, making sure I was home to catch these episodes. And now, I mean, you talk about pinch myself sitting here today with Malibu. How cool is this? Darren, welcome to the Shadows Podcast.
1: Hey, man. Glad to be here, my bro. On the Shadows with you, man. We're going to have a good time today.
0: We are. (laughs) I want to put you through some really quick rapid fire questions before we get started. All right recommendation for listeners out there
1: uh, man, i mean honestly i go with the bible every time man i read it every day so that's the number one selling book of all time so that's the one for me the bible right there my bro
0: I tell people especially being in military in a leadership position probably as crazy as it sounds most underrated leadership book of all time is
1: the bible you know what that is so true people don't realize the nuggets of gold they have in there for leadership for marriage, for everyday life, how to be a man, how to be a husband, how to be a father. I mean, it's all in there. It's an instruction guide for men. And like you said, leadership all the way, bro. Good, good yeah. call.
0: Right. What scripture stands out most to you? Oh my goodness.
1: You know, you know, I love John 3 16 because you know, it talks about salvation. You know what I mean? And, and I, I'm not going to say, it cause I want people to look it up and you find your Bible, look up John 3 16. Um, I'll go ahead and say it. it said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And, uh, it goes on to talk about how God is the light of the world. But, you know, that, that's just, just one of many, uh, scriptures that I absolutely love. And you know what I, I love going through is I like looking at the Psalms, Psalms 40 is one of my favorite, Psalm 37. Those are amazing go-tos, man. When, when you're, when you're hurting, when you're joyful, when you need guidance, when, when you're going through tough times. I mean, so to me, I'm, I'm always going through the songs. But 37 and 40 are two of my go-tos.
0: Iron sharpens iron.
1: Yes, sir, brother. That's it right there.
0: What's your go-to music?
1: Oh, go-to music. I've always been like a 70s rock and an 80s rock guy. Always. Okay. And, um, I appreciate that. That's, that's kind of been my, my groove for a long, long time. But I also like R&B. Um, I, I like uh, you know, bands like Earth, Wind and & Fire and you know, guys like that have been really, really cool. But um, of course, yeah. You know, before I even did Mortal Kombat, I was a huge Mortal Kombat fan, so I listened to the soundtrack of that all the time. Um, so kind of that was my jam back in the gym in the '95 around '95 area. So yeah, that those are probably my favorite.
2: Okay,
0: what's the fear that you have?
1: Wow, you know, that's a good thing. I think everybody has has a fear about something. I love the question. Um, To me, the greatest fear that I have is not being able to be used by God to the fullest of my potential so that I can bring in the most glory, so I can encourage the most people and use the the platform he's given me, the talents, the, the time, the treasures, the abilities, everything God has given me to the fullest of my potential. So to me, that's a prayer I have every day. I'm just asking God, guide me, use me, lead me to be able to glorify you, but to encourage other men because there's a lot of guys out there that are hurting. They don't know which way is up anymore because this world is so upside down right now, and especially young people. I mean, young people today are, are told to hate America. I mean, I don't even know what that's like. When I was born, you know, people loved America. People were was thankful to be in this country. But these days, these kids, you know, they're being spoon-fed such a bunch of garbage that they're, they're being poisoned. So to me, you know, any way I can to uplift this younger generation, um, that, that's, that's exactly what I feel like I'm here for.
0: Okay. And last question from the Rapid fires. Fire. Is, you know, I heard you on Wartime, and he was asking you uh, who you would break bread with. And I usually ask dinner for three, but I'm going to switch it up a little bit with you. You could play racquetball with one historical figure. Who would it be?
1: <laughs> I don't know if that game was invented back then, but, uh, um, you know, I, I, it probably have to be uh, David, because if he could swing a sling and swing a racket like he could swing a sling. you not a competitive game. He'd be bad to the bone. And yeah, you know he's competitive, man. Because he took down the bear, he took down the lion, he took down Goliath. So he'd be a great guy to compete with for sure.
0: That was like the perfect answer for that one. So <laughs> okay. All right. So now for those of you that have not watched, and I highly recommend you go check out the ESPN 30 for 30. It was an incredible uh I think it's like a story. And the thing is, it's like, you know, back when the gladiators came out, you know, they were they were larger than life characters, but We really didn't have that story behind each of them, yours being Malibu, and which we'll get into the catching some rays, uh, just a little bit. But talk to us about your upbringings. What was your childhood like? What did your parents do?
1: Yeah, thanks. Good question. Um, You know, I I grew up in a very loving home to start with. Um, I, I was cocooned in love of my father and my mother, which is every young man's dream. I had a dad who told me, you know, I, I love his son. He kissed me all the time. He played baseball with me. And he himself was uh, actually drafted by the Los Angeles Dodgers in the 50s um, to be a pitcher because he had a smoking hot, hot fastball coming out of high school about 95 miles an hour. So they were going to just groom him to play. But he got injured um, in the Marine Corps, believe it or not. And uh, because of that, they hurt his shoulder, so He couldn't pitch. So um, he became uh, just a warrior in the telecommunications business, and uh, so I really looked up to him because he made that transition because he left his passion to do something great. But um, about 12 years old, um, we had a horrible catastrophe happen where my, my dad just kind of went off center, walked away from God, and left my mom. And to me, that was probably the most devastating thing I could face as an 11 year old man, a young man, because you know when when people think of their father, they think um, like they think of God.
2: So as I'm going to
1: church and they're talking about God, the Heavenly Father, I'm thinking, well, that sounds right to me because my dad would always kiss me goodnight and always love me. But then all of a sudden, this guy just walked out of my life and walked out of my mother's life. And six months before he did it, he had actually told me to my face that he would never leave my mom because I was asking some questions about him and some friends of theirs that were getting divorced. And so I said, Dad, would you ever get divorced like your friends? And he said, no, I'd never leave your mom, son. So when that happened, it was like a double blast to me, like, like a double blast shotgun to the stomach because here he is, he said, I never leave you. And then he, then he leaves me. And so I literally watched my whole family just get obliterated by a divorce. So it was a huge, huge change in my life.
0: You accepted God at a really early age. And what you know, I'm curious to ask you is, our minds are still developing so young. And yeah. for you to have something happen like that, Did you ever find yourself at that crossroads or you are questioning your faith?
1: Um, You know, that's a really good question. I I did in one sense. I never questioned my faith in Christ. Like I became saved when I was 13 years old and I knew that was real. It was, it it was like, and I really also always had a sense of God in my heart. When I was a young man, I I don't know if you can understand that, but I just knew God was real since I was a little kid, but I had a real hard time with understanding God the Father and how the Bible said God the Father loves you and he will never forsake you. And I'm thinking, well, how can that happen? Because God, my father, is kind of like God the Father as an 11-year-old, because that's how you think. And then he just abandoned us. So I had a real struggle with that for quite a while, you know, really believing that God, you know, loved me like the Word says he does
0: got into you eventually got into athletics you started to play racquetball you went professional which loved me some racquetball especially back in the day (laughs) super rusty right now but uh you went from there to what deputy sheriff yes l.a county sheriff haven't heard too much of your story about your time as a deputy sheriff what were some
1: things you remember most about that yeah You, you know it was one of those things i was playing racquetball and the racquetball tour i was one of the top players in the world but There was no money in it anymore um so i decided you know what can i do that'll be fun that i really like to do that it would impress my dad because i was always trying to work to get my dad back in my life Mm. again so i thought i'd be a cop i thought how cool would that be so i joined the sheriff's department um got through the academy did great and to be honest with you probably the greatest things about the sheriff's department that i loved was playing in the police olympics and the world police and fire olympics to me that was a blast I had the best time ever, met some great guys, had a lot of fun. And so that was a great experience for me and something I enjoyed the most out of being the sheriff's department.
0: Being in the police, you know, is very similar in a lot of regards to being in the military, put your life on the line, dedicate a lot of time to your duty. You mentioned your dad was a Marine. Did you ever consider joining the military?
1: Honestly, no, I didn't. to me, it was close enough when I was growing up around Vietnam, and I'd seen a lot of things about Vietnam that were enough to scare me half to death. So I really, um, you know, didn't want to go. If I was dropping, of course, I would have gone. But uh, to me, I just, I just didn't feel like I was led, and and um, and I just felt like God had something else for me to do for sure. Yeah,
0: I, I'm I'm noticing something of similarity to what I had. So I lost my father when I was 11 years old,
1: oh, wow. and. Sorry.
0: Different different circumstances, but I was always uh for most of my life, even up until recently, I was chasing my father's approval in a weird way because he wasn't yeah. there. But I'm like, I was trying to compare myself to him right. and trying to seek his. Right. So I find that interesting that right. you were, like you said, constantly trying to yep. get that approval from him. And then you uh were you as always naturally fit, or was that just something that you were like, okay, I'm going to dedicate myself to making sure that I'm tip-top shape as well.
1: Yeah, the, you know, yeah, for sure. It's funny because when I was a little kid, I used to get bullied because I was so skinny in high school. Gotcha. So I was one of these kids that you know I might have been, I might have been five foot eight, 120 pounds, soaking wet, you know, up until my senior year, and then all of a sudden I just grew like crazy. Um, so when I grew the last year when I was a senior, I got to be like six foot two. And I weighed 160 pounds, so I was still a beanpole, right? And I thought, yeah, yeah. okay, what can I do to get myself in shape? I didn't like getting beat up. I had a bit of insecurity problem. Still, I'm trying to win my dad's favor. So, um, you know, I, I started reading comics. Well, I read comics before, so I thought, man, I want to look like one of these comic book guys. man. You know, I don't want to look like a, a Superman or a Batman character. So I just hit the gym and started training, you know, four or five hours a day, playing racquetball. And um, little by little by little, I started putting on slabs of muscle. And uh, by the time I got to be 26 years old, I put on a pretty decent physique. But it was through a lot of hard work and uh, training. As you know, I can tell you work out, too. So oh, I appreciate the time
0: in. Yeah, I appreciate that, considering this is a Zoom call. So I appreciate
1: I can see, man. I can see it again.
0: So did you – 80s and 90s, I mean it- – Completely different time in terms of lifting out. It, it wasn't all the, the supplements and the vitamins and beetroot and all that stuff that we have right, now.
1: Right,
0: right. Did you ever use steroids during that time?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And back back in that time, though, they had they actually had doctors you could go to. And yeah. you would go to these doctors. They would do your blood and check your blood serum levels every six months. And they'd give you what was called decaduravalin and then one other oral. I can't even remember what it was. But I mean, that was a game changer for me, for sure, um, because that was a time where my body just completely got a lot different in the sense of it was like, it's like, imagine you, you're, you're chiseling out a statue.
2: What the yeah, steroids
1: yeah. did was just polish everything. It was mm. just bring everything up to this beautiful shine, make it, make it hard, make your muscles hard and stuff like that. But there's no substitute for training six hours a day. There's no substitute for eating you know correctly. You know, there's has a lot of people have a misnomer. They think if you take steroids, all of a sudden, you're just going to be in great shape. You're going to be a monster and yeah. you don't have to work out. And that's just not true, you know. So and the other thing was that I literally used such a minimal amount of that. I never, never, never went overboard. I used the smallest amount. I, I was on for maybe, you know, three months and I get off for another three months. So it was sporadic and and, and not, not a lot like a lot of these guys are using. Um, back then or today
0: yeah okay and i mean did well landed a gig with american gladiators how in the world did that like come to be did was it like classified ads you see something for it or what was it
1: well it's kind of like that i was riding a life cycle with a buddy of mine and uh, he looks over he goes hey darren i go what it, it was a trade magazine called the variety and he said listen they're they're looking for gladiators for this new know tv show called american gladiators what's that about because well they're looking for a guy just like a surfer guy that's tall and in great shape and they they want you to be athletic and i'm going well i gotta go for that so um i literally just started in my acting career wanting to you know transition to acting and all this stuff so i went down um they ran they ran me through an obstacle course and i just smoked the obstacle course because i was playing racquetball i was in like really super shape good shape running every day and weight training So I I killed all that, and then we had an audition. And the audition was a verbal audition where I would go in with the group of the directors, producers, and everybody. They'd be sitting in this round table, and they put another table in the middle of the room, and they said, okay, well, you know your gladiator name is gonna be Domino. And I'm like, Domino? I said, bro, I am not a pizza delivery dude. I said, my name is Malibu. (laughs) And so they howled, they just started laughing. And I knew I'd booked a job just like that. So they changed the name from Domino to Malibu, and that's how the whole name came about.
0: If you could go back and have your own character that you create, what would you have come up with?
1: Nothing different, man. I, mean, I Malibu? Oh, yeah. I mean, I that was just an extension of who I really was. You know what I mean? It was yeah. a larger life persona of who I wanted to be and who I was. So I was so comfortable in that persona that I could do that shtick all the time and go in and out of that, and I was having a ball doing it. You know, I didn't want to be like every other gladiator who was like, "I'm going to kick your butt." (laughs) Yeah, I'm metal. (laughs) You know what I mean? Exactly. You know, I I, that just wasn't me, and I wanted to be the guy that went in and whether I won or lost, I was always smiling, having a great time, and I think that really resonated with uh, a lot of the fans that were watching it. They go, "Man, he don't care. He's just having a..."
0: so it's what stood yeah. out to me as a kid most with yours is yours had kind of that larger than life like wwe type yeah. character like it was it was a gimmick that worked and like you said it, sometimes you even hear it with pro wrestling the, the yeah. characters yeah. that work best are the ones that embrace it and it's a little extension of exactly. themselves
1: so, exactly you know but the thing about that i'll tell you some one, one little um tidbit of a side note I was going out on auditions at the same time, trying to book acting jobs, and I could not get an audition to save my life. My agents was calling, and these casting directors go, no, there's no way. We've seen that knucklehead on TV, and he's a big, dumb blonde. He doesn't know how to put two words together. And they're going, it's a gimmick, it's a joke. And they're going, there's no way. Nobody can act that." there. And it took me literally a year to start getting auditions after that show. Wow. And then pretty soon I started booking them. So, pretty funny
0: what did you prefer better the live tour or with the, you know, the dinner, or did you like the actual gladiators tapings that y'all did? um, I think the live show
1: was really the most fun because, um, well, for instance, we, we went and did Madison square garden and I walked out on the floor of Madison square garden and there were 20 something thousand people standing there losing their minds with signs for us going crazy. And, All of a sudden, that's when I really realized how huge the show was, that these many people came to see us perform. And so there's nothing like the experience of performing in front of a crowd and, you know, seeing people go crazy and having fun and competing. So it it was probably the most amazing time of my life to be, you know, touring around doing the show um, as we traveled. I got injured pretty bad and that's why I ended up leaving, but uh, it was a lot of fun while I was doing it.
0: What'd you think of the 30 for 30? And have you watched the Netflix one yet?
1: Yeah. So I, I, I really love the 30 for 30 and um, I made a decision because initially I was offered both of them. Um, Dan Clark came to me and asked me to be on his and then ESPN people came and talked to me about being on them. And when I listened to the ESPN vision, I thought that's where I want to go because I really think that they were going to get it right and do the backstory and, and, go deeper than superficial stuff that, that I expected to see. So I took the 30 for 30. Um, Dan was really hurt that I didn't go with him. That's Nitro, who was kind of producing it. But um, I love what they did. I think they, they were excellent. I thought they were fair. Um, and they, they told the truth. And it was really poignant. There was a lot of things in there where literally I was crying watching things that happened to Billy Smith was Thunder. If you watched it, you saw what happened to Billy. And even Mike Horton, things that happened with his kids because, you know, literally when you start getting famous or whatever celebrity, you can lose yourself in that. You know what I mean? If you're not grounded and you don't have, you know, something larger than yourself to look at, for me, it was God. But if you don't have God in your life, the next thing that you're going to worship is the person in the mirror. And that's the problem with fame and, and celebrity. So... At any rate, um, yeah, I, I loved it. I thought they were a little harsh on Johnny Ferraro. Um, he was, yeah, He's a really him. good guy. Yeah. He's a friend of mine, but they made him look out to be a dirty dog, and that wasn't the true story about what really happened. And, uh, I, you know, I can't go into all that stuff, but um, unfortunately, they kind of painted him in, in a bad light, which was really tough for me to watch.
0: One thing I, I... I... Really appreciated from that documentary. Uh, and I definitely encourage everybody out there to go check it out. Uh, yeah, my, my, my wife loved it. And th- we've been talking about it at my work. And one thing that I thought was cool was some of the backstories. And yeah. for you, you had that moment with the human cannonball yeah. where you got absolutely nailed on that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Your own knee hit yourself in the face. Yeah. What, what do you remember about that moment?
1: Well, you know, first of all, I'm sort of watching this guy, like, whatever, the like 25 feet away and 20 feet in the air. I mean, what am I doing here? A horrible concept. <laughs> and so I'm trying to, you know, play it off. I'm whooping it up and, you know, jumping up and down. And inside, I'm thinking, if this guy hits me, I'm going to get creamed. And sure enough, um, what people don't know is they changed the rules of the game after that hit. The rules were you, the guys could kind of cock their legs and really, you know, slam into me, and this guy hit me so perfectly. Um, his name was Brian Hudson. He hit me so perfectly. You can watch my feet, they lift up off the platform he before went, I oh. start falling backwards Yeah.
0: No. And so, yeah, so
1: when, when I got hit, it, they said it was almost equivalent to getting hit by a Harley Davidson motorcycle going about 10 miles an hour. Um, that part knocked the wind out of me, but nothing was bad. When, when I hit that pad and my knee came over and hit me in the head, um, another thing that wasn't really talked about was that I got a horrible concussion from it and had to have plastic surgery, inner stitches and outer stitches on my forehead. But I was in the surgeon's office and he was going, you're not going back, you're done, you can't do this. And I'm begging, I'm saying, listen, doc, please, this is my livelihood, I need to do this. He goes, do you understand, Darren, you've got a concussion and it's so bad that if you get hit anywhere near that again, you're either, you could die or be in a wheelchair for the rest of your life. And I'm going, yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, no, Darren, I'm serious. And I said, I looked at him, I said, Doc, look, how would you like to go to medical school, medical school your whole life, do your internship, do everything you've done. And right before you do your first surgery, they said, you can't be a surgeon anymore. And I let him percolate, think about that. And he goes, all right, I'm going to let you go back, but this is on you. You know, you sign this off, it's totally on you. So when I went back in there, you you can bet I was, I was pretty scared every single time I got up and, and did any of those events.
0: Well, the one thing that I noticed about your story was uh, that human cannonball is kind of symbolic of like what was going to happen in your life.
1: Yeah. Where yeah, yeah.
0: You were going to get hit really, really hard, get knocked out, but right, you got yeah. back up. And I mean, you, you ended up going into acting and you mentioned Mortal Kombat. How cool was that? And then Batman yeah. forever. Yeah. Amazing. I mean, just yeah. talking about like reading comics and then, Right now you're in Madison Square Garden. Now you're in Batman Forever. Right, uh, how cool so were those you, experiences? Let me tell you a story like that. about that. Let me tell you about a story about that yeah. really quick. Cool.
1: When I was eight years old, or maybe I don't know, seven, eight, nine years old, somewhere around there, we were in elementary school, and I remember the teacher going around the room saying, "Johnny, what do you want to be when you get older?" And Johnny goes, "I want to be a fireman." And Susie wanted to be because I want to be a veterinarian. And it's going around the room, and they go, "Darren, what do you want to be?" And I said, "I'm going to be Batman." <laughs> She's got you can't be Batman, there I said. I want to be batman you ask me what i want to be yeah i want to be batman (laughs) so so really what was so cool was that i literally ended up being in the batman movies two of them um you know it kind of like came around full circle so i'm always pushing people to follow their goals hopes and dreams you know what i mean i would never shoot somebody down when they say i got a dream to do this and i got a goal to do that it's like go for it man you know do your best. Go out there and just—I mean, within reason, as long as the goal is, you know, reasonable stuff. But I would believe really cheer people on as much as you can, encourage people because, you know, dreams—dreams dreams are something that people can fulfill. Look, I mean, look what you've done with your life, and you know what I've done. And who oh am I? I'm nobody. You know what I mean? I'm just a just a knucklehead who God blessed, and I was able to do this stuff. But I believed I could do it, and I went after it with all my heart.
0: Val Kilmer, most underrated Batman too.
1: Oh, in the movie. And you you know what's funny about Val? We work. I worked with him for three weeks, and if you saw him on the street, you wouldn't look twice. He just yeah. he he looks unassuming. He's a little guy, but when he gets on that camera, oh my gosh, he is absolutely mesmerized. Yeah. I mean, he's incredible, and he looked amazing in that in that Batman costume. So yeah, one of my favorite I, roles I,
0: ever was him in Tombstone.
1: Oh yeah. Oh come on. I, I still when I watch him, I just sit there. He's he's like a. a an actor's dream to watch this guy. You know, every yeah. time you go there, you're getting acting lessons by watching one of the greatest ever. I mean, he's looking, okay. he's done The Doors. He's done that. I mean, he's, he was amazing.
0: Well, speaking of that human cannonball we were talking about, yeah. uh, you know, you lost your wife from some complications from surgery. And, you know, Mike my says Thank you for sharing that on the podcast. I mean, on the uh, 30 for 30. I mean, yeah. it was very powerful story. And then you were talking about your daughter's how was that raising two girls right yeah. after this happens
1: yeah you know it, it's a good question i first of all I, I like what you said about that cannonball being like a metaphor for my life i yeah. never really thought about it but that's absolutely true
0: 100 you know, yeah. getting
1: hammered by adversity and then coming back after it i mean I, i'm gonna i'm gonna plagiarize that brother because right? do so it
0: cool. pop <laughs> up and talk to mike
1: when you did it yeah, I mean, I love it. So anyway, so um, when my wife died, of course, it was a shock. Um, she was just 35 years old at the time. And, and we just had a five-year-old, a two-year-old. And, you know, my career was golden. And so we were just, it was awesome things that were happening for us. And, and so I just thought, you know, God, this is my ministry. And I'm going to be serving you as an actor or a stuntman or, and doing ministry because I was traveling around doing ministry also. Um, and uh, I got this call from her father and said, um, hey, hey, son, um, she, she's gone. And I, I said, well, what do you mean she's gone, Pop? And he said, she's gone. I said, Pop, who's gone? He goes, your wife is gone, Drazan And I said, well, where did she go, Pop? And he said, she's gone. I mean, it wasn't registering in my head what he was telling me, right? And he finally said, Drazan died. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And You got to come to LA right away because you have to identify the body. So I'm like completely in shock. I just stepped into the twilight zone. And I had to go down to the hospital, and there she was. She laid out in a gurney, um, you know, in, in a workout outfit. And she she looked like she was just sleeping from the gym. It was just so surreal. Um, and, you know, what I thought was another surreal moment. I started breaking down and crying, of course. I was I was weeping. And then her father, you know, who's my father-in-law, her, her dad, he's over-comforting me. And that's his daughter, laying there, dad. And this guy is comforting me and I thought wow that's that's the love of the man he had and kind of guy he is I mean I still talk to him to this day I call him my pop because he's like a father to me um Mm -hmm. but yeah that was a a heavy 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 moment and then when I had to literally tell my girls that was super tough because Ashley understood what death meant and my Mm -hmm. oldest was super close with her and the youngest was two and I told Ashley of course she started falling she she was inconsolable for and then Kylie just going, well, what, what do you mean, Daddy? You know, I, I can't see her again. I said, no, honey, mommy's not coming back. And I said, but well, we'll see her in heaven. And you know, she's just asking these questions. Well, can I, you know, can I go see her now? And I'm like, no, sweetheart. And she goes, mommy's never coming back. And I said, no, honey, not, mommy's not coming back. And so she started to cry. And so I'm like doing everything I can not to cry myself. And um, and my my parents are there. My dad, and my stepmom are there. And I'm just. I'm looking at him and go, what can I say? You know, I mean, these are my children. So my heart was just like torn out of my chest. Um, so we soldiered on and I, I got to the point where I, I literally was, I felt like it was a God moment and God was saying, look Darren, you can fulfill your dreams as an actor right now and go be famous because you're, you're set. You've got these movies lined up, da-da-da-da-da. Okay. Or you can put your faith where your mouth is and be a father to these kids and you're the one going around talking about what it means to be a man of God and I mean it was so clear to me and so the the, the decision was like no decision I, I said okay if I have to quit acting I'll quit acting I'm going to raise my girls and I want to be the father that I could be and so that's what I did I i still did little acting gigs here and there which kind of kept the bills paid but you know I, I literally walked away from it for the most part just so I could be a dad to these girls and I wouldn't I, I wouldn't Take back a day. It was the most wonderful experience of my life.
0: And, and also, kudos to you for overcoming uh, that addiction to Oxycontin that you were talking about, which right. is another real thing you hear about with athletes. Yes. Uh, two, yeah. Twofold question with that. Sure. Uh, what advice would you give to someone that's struggling with an addiction? And then, for someone who's never been through something like that, like what was it that was so addicting about Oxycontin?
1: So, a couple things, and I'm so glad you asked this question. Thank you. Um, first of all, just a little backstory. I was the kind of guy that had, up till into my 40s, literally, I had, I literally never smoked a cigarette. I never smoked pot. I never drank a beer in my life. I was not drunk. I tasted alcohol, but I never been drunk. Never took a painkiller after I'd broken my back. I'd had my neck, you know, vertebrae fractured. I mean, I've been injured many times, broken ribs, never touched anything. But, my wife had died, and then about three years after that, I went to visit my mom and found her dead on the floor. So oh. I was doubly devastated. So to me, the, I, I injured my hip again, and normally I could have probably just you know, fought it off, but the hip pain was so bad, I literally couldn't step into the shower. And I found myself getting so depressed and more depressed because I was missing my mom, I was missing my wife. I left my friends in L.A., to, to move into a, a better county for my daughters and their schooling. So to me, I was alone and isolated. And uh, it wasn't just the pain that got me. It was the emotional pain behind it, too. It was the missing my mom and my wife. And I finally said, you know, tell me about it. And he goes, and he said, Darren, this is Oxycontin. It's a brand new drug, and it's not addicting. And I said, no, tell me more. He goes, well, you might get dependent on it. And I said, Doc. That sure sounds like addiction to me. What's the difference between addiction and dependence? He goes, well, dependence, you, you can you can just walk away from it because you've never been addicted before, right? I go, no. And he goes, yeah, people don't get addicted to OxyContin. Well, he's lying. But Big Pharma totally lied to him about that. Um, there was an amazing documentary about this uh, on TV. I wish you could think, Dope Sick. It was called Dope Sick. Anybody who wants to know about this drug and what it does to people in reality watch dope sick michael keaton's in it it's got an amazing cast anyways mm. um so yeah I, I took that drug and i was addicted within two months i mean i loved it because not only was helping with my physical pain temporarily but it was also washing away all the emotional pain i was going through
0: triggers your dopamine
1: just completely and and it was yeah. not only was it numbing it but it gave me this warm feeling of like everything's good in my life it's such an evil thing it is it is To me, it's like almost straight from the devil, because Mm -hmm. that drug should only be used, well, first of all, it shouldn't be used at all, but on the most temporary of bases. But to me, the more I needed, the more they gave me. The more I asked for, the more they gave me. And I I ended up meeting one doctor, because he was a big Gladiator fan. He gave me copious amounts of this stuff, like ridiculous amounts. And, And, of course, I took them, you know, but... When you get to that place where you're addicted, everything else is blurred behind you, and all that matters is, I don't want to feel bad anymore. And then it stops working altogether. So people listen up. This drug stops working altogether, and then the pain starts getting incrementally worse. And then the only reason why you're taking it is because I just want to be sick. I don't want to be dope sick, because that feeling is horrible. So I got to that place where, to be honest with you, I remember... Being in my living room floor, it had been a year that I hadn't looked at my face in the mirror. I was so disgusted with myself that I couldn't look at myself in the mirror. And I I dropped to my knees and said, God, listen. I said, if you want to take me to heaven right now, you go ahead and take me. Because I've just ruined my life. I've been a terrible example these last couple of years to my daughters. And I've been worthless. And I'm sorry. I said, please forgive me. But, God, I don't see any way out of this. I said, but... If you can deliver me from this horrible addiction, I I promise you my life. I will spend every bit of time I have talking to people about it, encouraging people about it and telling them how horrible this drug is and and preaching the word like I never preached before in my life. And so, yeah, I I went, I, I had a hip replacement surgery and I was doing fine after about a month, I mean, really feeling great. And then suddenly I woke up one morning and Literally, I'm not kidding you, half of my hip was swollen up like half of a football and I had gotten a, systematic, a systemic staph infection in the area after I had surgery and then the next five months was spent in and out of nursing hospitals and in and out of having wound care nurses come to my house, having a doctor that's an internal medicine specialist look at me and say, Darren, one of three, three things is going to happen. You're going to lose your leg, you're going to die or you're going to be okay. And I'll never forget him. And he said it with a stone face. There was no compassion in his eye whatsoever. So I'm in his office. I'm weeping in his office again, crying because I'm so freaked out. And he said, What are you crying for? I want to punch him in the mouth. It's like, What are you talking about, doc? You just told me that two out of three things are like a horrible outcome here. So I just kept praying. And uh, I was, of course, by this time, re addicted to the drugs again. Um, so I just I kept praying. I said, God, you can pull me through this. You, you're the great physician. You can heal anything. And if you will, please heal me. Get me through this. I said, I'll get off this stuff. I will get off. And so by the grace of God, it healed up. Um, the injury was totally healed. The pain was pretty much completely gone. And I went into rehab and uh, I finally got myself clean. Um, but this is something I want to tell the people that, that how, how terrible this drug is. I went and got clean, I came back out and I started using again. I went and got clean, I came out, I started using again. It. it is so powerful because what this drug does, is it literally changes the nerve synapses in your brain so that what was normal and feel good, you know, emotions and dopamine, all that, is all rerouted and only satisfied by this drug. So it literally took me several times for me to get back and say, okay, I'm never touching this stuff again. I'm never going to do it again. And so today, well, more than five years ago, I've been clean sober. Haven't touched anything. Don't want anything Perhaps. to do with that drug. So yeah. So to people that to talk to people that are that are struggling, listen. the The best advice I could give you is don't give up on yourself. Believe you can do it. Talk about rehab because they have these types of um, aftercare programs that they can give you certain types of medication. That will, that will calm those nerves down so that you can get through the detox and you can get through without having withdrawals or any of that stuff. It's really amazing what they have. So, you know, to me, go do it because it's only going to get worse. Now that fentanyl's out there, um, I've seen several people die from it. Um, I, I now, as I'm here speaking to you, I'm in a sober living house. I manage a sober living house. So I take care of addicts, drug addicts, alcoholics, and I, I kind of minister them, but I also help them. So I've seen it, I've seen everything happen with this kind of stuff. And so I just tell them, you just don't quit, you persevere, you keep going. And if you wipe out, you get up and you go forward again until you succeed. So that's the best thing I said, just don't quit, don't surrender, don't retreat, just get off this stuff because it'll kill you, it'll, it'll absolutely kill you.
0: I appreciate that vulnerability and opening up and, and sharing that and kudos to you for just rebounding Two, two final questions here for you, yeah. you, the end of the 30 for 30, it gives closure, you're remarried, seems super happy, life right. is going, trajectory going up for you. Okay. Did you ever get any sort of closure with your father?
1: So, uh, yes. So um, years later, and oh, man, I'm, thank you. Thank you for asking that question. Thank you so much. When my father left my mom, I became very, very bitter and resentful. And I want everybody, if you miss everything else, just pay attention to the thing I just spoke about with, with the drugs and what I'm going to say right now. I became so bitter with my father, even as a Christian, I felt he doesn't forgive, he doesn't deserve my forgiveness. I'm not going to forgive this man because of what he did, because I watched my mom fall into alcoholism. I watched my sister, her life apart, fell apart, she drank herself to death. Literally, when she was 42 years old, my brother started doing drugs. So I I literally blamed my father for all these things. And never, never, never did I allow myself to forgive him. And yet I preached on forgiveness several times and really meant it with all my heart. Yeah. Uh, the sad thing was, the only thing I have regret about is nobody ever came to me and said, Darren, you've got to forgive your dad. There wasn't a Christian in my life that ever, ever said that to me. And so I, I didn't even think about it. So finally, God convicted me and said, Darren, you've got to forgive your dad. You've got to go forgive him. He, and I'm thinking, well, God, listen, I mean, if I, if I forgive him, then, then he's off my hook, and he gets away with all this stuff. And he said, son, he says, he's not off my hook. You know, God said, listen, it's vengeance of mine. I will repay. And then I, then I realized something. God pure, you know, opened my eyes and showed me how bad my dad suffered from doing what he did to me. He suffered from that so much. He was so guilt-ridden and so shameful. He couldn't look me in the eye anymore. And that's why he wasn't telling me he loved me. And that's why he didn't hug me anymore. He was so guilt-ridden for what he did. He couldn't look me in the eye. And so I realized, you know what? I, I, got- I have to do this. I want my dad back. I love my dad, you know? So I, I met him at an a, uh, uh, IHOP. Uh, in a- and uh, we sat down. We started talking and I said, Dad, I need to share something with you. And he got up to leave because he thought I was going to blast him again like I always did. And I said, no, 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 Dad. I'm here to tell you I love you and I'm sorry. And I'm here to ask you to forgive me. Um, This is hard for me to say. Um, It was super tough for me to do that. And it was a super emotional moment for me because it was 30 years almost of, of brokenness and bitterness towards my father that had been pent up inside of me. And then I really realized man, this man needs to be loved just like everybody else. And I, I lost all those years with my dad that I could have had with him. Had I forgiven him all that time before? So, you know, people, if you've got someone that you're, you're bitter against and you're unforgiving, please go rectify that. Fix that. Fix that. Because you think that, the, they're, that you need to keep them in prison by being unforgiving. But the problem is the person that's in prison is you. When you're unforgiving, it's you that's in prison. prison it's me that was in prison when i didn't forgive my dad and so that's what happens to us when we don't forgive. we're we're stuck in a prison of our own making and it's like saying okay well i'm gonna take poison and i want it to kill you how much sense does that make but that's the reality of it you know so we've got to forgive those people and we got to believe that that they're in god's hands and god is the best you know judge of anybody but you know who am i who am i to to hold anybody in that kind of bondage, especially myself. So I'm really glad you asked that question and um, it still touches me because I dream about my dad. I probably dream about my dad once every week, literally. Um, But we did, we reconciled as much as could be and then literally within a year or so he died. So I had closure, but then my heart felt like, man, I lost so much opportunity to be with my father. And um, I'm literally counseling a guy right now who's bitter to his dad. And I'm like, bro, forgive your father, forgive your father. And he's like, well, he did this. I said, I don't care, man. I said, you were going to be so hurting. And I told him my story. So, you know, I'm praying that he's moving in that direction right now. So um, thank you for, thank you for asking that question.
0: Absolutely. And it just goes to show. So like God works in mysterious ways with certain things and, the yeah. fact that I'm sitting here talking to you, the time that we're recording this, and you mentioned that it had been nearly 30 years. So today has been exactly 30 years from the last time I spoke to my dad, wow. And wow. which is crazy. And wow. uh, yeah, he passed away in 1993. Wow. Um, so, so crazy that I, I heard that story from you and, and you got that closure. So um, wow! really do wow. appreciate that. that. That fills my heart up to hear that you got that. Um, yeah, thank you, man. Thank you. Oh, absolutely. No, this this is incredible. So, final thing here, uh let our listener, you know, final comments for our listeners, but more importantly, talk about the importance that God and and faith has played in your life.
1: Oh man, this is a whole other podcast, brother. We have to do another one of these. <laughs> you know, I, literally, it's like you said on the human cannonball. My my life. I mean was wrapped around some amazing, stunning tragedies and, and, and trials and tests. But um, it's it's like, what do you do with that failure? Because we're all going to fail. We're all going to fail. We're all going to go through tough times. But I use this motto, I said, you know, tough times, they don't last, but tough people do. Yeah. You got to work through those tough times. And when you fail, okay, you fail forward. And what I mean by that is learn something from your failure. Don't sit there and sit there and, and, and sit in the mud and feel sorry for yourself say, okay, what happened here? Why did I fail? What can I do better next time? And so you learn so that you fail forward. When you fail again, you fail forward. And pretty soon, you have victory over that thing that was defeating you so many times before. So it, like sports, for instance, okay? We're talking about racquetball. I lost more racquetball games than I ever won in my life times 100. But the more I got beat... The better I became. Okay. It's like a weapon. Okay. When I was the sheriff's department, I was the worst shot of anybody out there. Could not hit the broadside of a bar. And so I went on and practice and practiced and I stunk up the shooting range until I could shoot expert. But I failed and failed and failed forward until I achieved the goals. And so that's my that that is my the greatest encouragement that I can give people. Yeah. Persevere, persevere. And God has always been the one. That has given me the strength to persevere he's been the one where i look at and i don't look at myself i said god you've got a destiny for me you've got a plan for my life the word in ephesians two ten says that we are god's masterpiece created in christ jesus to do good works which he prepared before the foundation of the world so we can walk in walk in that think about that god knew you god knew me and whoever's listening to this podcast before you were born and he's got a destiny for you and it's a powerful destiny. So do, you want to, do I want to do it Darren's way or do I want to do it God's way? And so God's way is tough, man. He promises we're going to have a tough time. I mean, but you know what? Without God, we're going to have a tough time. Okay, so this world, you're going to get persecuted, whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian or you're a Buddhist or anything, you know, or an atheist. But the bottom line is there is a very real God who created this universe and that he does have a plan for our lives. So he will guide you. He will lead you and he's led me Every step of the way, not like I hear him audibly, but I've literally known that God has led my steps and he's picked me up when I've had these horrendous, horrendous um, tragedies in my life. So without him, I I would be nothing. And I, I don't even know where I'd be without God in my life. I don't think I'd be alive right now. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I, this has been an incredible story. Like I said, I, I watched the 30 for 30 and my wife turned to me and she was like, I, I got to hear more. I got to hear more of this. <laughs> this is, <this> is a <laughs> powerful story. And uh, this has been an incredible episode. I want to thank you personally for taking time to be on here, but not just that, but uh, super easy to talk to, super relatable, thank you. super real um, thank you. and just incredible words. You're spreading. I wouldn't even say things. you do. It's the word that you're spreading is incredible. And thank uh, I thank you so much.
1: And, and you too, man. Thank you for what you're doing because it matters. You know, if it wasn't for you, I couldn't get my word out. So I'm thankful for what you're doing, man. And just keep loving your wife like Christ loved the church. You know, oh, yeah. I mean, it's a tough yeah. job, but man, she is your help me right there. man. Tell yeah. her I said hi and God bless her too, man.
0: We'll do. I have to, I have to get up with you when we get in uh, California at the end of the please, month. Please, please. We'll I'll do some racquetball.
1: I would love, I'd love to see you guys. Seriously. I'll take you out to dinner. So please do that for sure.
0: Oh, we'll do. Well, folks, we okay. hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Shadows Podcast.